Thanks, Val. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come to consider what you are saying to us today through your Holy Spirit and through your word, I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly, slowly, um, to communicate what you want me to communicate. And we'd all have ears to hear and hearts to understand the good news of the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, have you ever been to a theatre and like gone to see behind the curtain? Or perhaps you've been in like a theatre performance and you've kind of like seen the backstage and what's going on there. Um, we use that expression, like seeing behind the curtain, for lots of different things or like what's going on behind the scenes, right? So currently it's, it's the exciting time of year of its, its transfer windows open again. So we have to speculate about who's going to go where in footballing terms and how much money Newcastle are now going to spend with their billions of Saudi money, right? Um, but you can't, a, a player moves and people go, oh, that's a bit weird because you weren't expecting that. I wonder what's gone on behind the scenes, like in the boardroom. What's happened? What deals have been made about what's happening? Or in like politics, yeah, they, they might do something, and you think, oh, that's really weird. I wonder what's happened behind the scenes. Like, if, if we could see into that kind of thing, we'd, we'd hear their conversations and we'd work out what's going on. And occasionally in Scripture, we get these like behind the scenes view of what's going on like here on earth. As in, we know what's happening here on earth, we, we read about it, we see it. But behind the scenes, there is, there is all like that's happening in heaven, that's all the things that are operating on like a spiritual level. And occasionally, the Bible like, lifts back the curtain to show you what's going on in those scenes. So, for example, when Jesus is baptized, right, he is, you know, everyone is watching Jesus go down to the River Jordan, and John the Baptist is with him, and he takes him down and puts him in the water. We all, well, if you're there, you see it, and we read about it. But then behind the scenes, uh, heaven's ripped open, and you hear the Father say, this is my son whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. And it's like you see a glimpse into what's going on in heaven, and God's like telling you what's happening. Or if you read the book of Job, Job's this guy who suffers greatly, all these terrible things happen to him, but twice it gives you this vision of what's going on in heaven. Behind the scenes, it says, you know, there's, there's God, and the devil's come and said to God, can you do this? And God's like, well, of course I can do this, let's see what happens. And, and you need to read Job, but it's like this picture of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, and, and the book of Revelation, right, is really hard to understand, partly because it's almost entirely set behind the scenes. It's like a view of this is what's happening cosmically in heaven. This is what's going on. And, and, and we don't kind of quite work out sometimes what that looks like on earth, but it's what's happening behind the scenes. Um, today we're, we're still in Christmas, and we're going to think about those, those wise men turning up to, to worship Jesus, to bring him gifts. But we're going to see in this Old Testament passage in Isaiah what's kind of going on behind the scenes. Because if you think about it, it's really random. Baby's been born in Bethlehem, which isn't a very big place. It's a small town in, in, a, in a small part of the Roman Empire. And these, uh, you know, a certain number of wise men just turn up one day with these gifts and say, oh, a star appeared in the sky and told us to come worship this child. That doesn't happen at most births normally, right? Let alone this. So, so the question is, why is this happening? And Isaiah 60 gives us some of this view of behind the scenes, what's going on. So if you've got a Bible, it's helpful to have it open to Isaiah 60. We will jump back to Matthew 2 at some point and, and consider the wise men, but we're going to spend most of our time there in Isaiah 60. Um, but here's a question. As you, so Isaiah 60, by the way, is on page 708 of your, if you have one of these blue Bibles in church. 708. Um, but here's a question just to think about. Um, how, if you ask to picture the world in your head, how would you picture it? So here's a, here's a picture of, of the Earth. It'll appear on the screen in just a second. Uh, and this was taken by an astronaut from the moon, which is cool. That's like a new thing, right? We haven't been able to do that for thousands of years. And now we can send someone to the moon and they can take a photograph. That's, and and if you, I guess if you think of the world, you probably think of something like that, like a blue marble floating in space. And um, we've got better composite images of it now. We take this for granted, but this is like revolutionary stuff that we can just see what the world looks like. So yeah, I think there's a better picture of the, the world. There we go. Isn't that nice? Um, that's a bunch of satellites or, or spaceships putting photographs together. 
Um, and that's kind of how we see the world. But in, in Isaiah, we get a description of like how the heavens see the world. So cosmically, how do, how do the creatures in the heaven, the, the kind of the, the God and the rest of like the angels, how do they see the world? And in, in chapter 60, verse 2, it says this. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. The earth is veiled in darkness. It's like kind of blocked off, it's closed off. And over the people is particularly like this thick darkness. It's like a world cut off from God. A world living without God, cut off from his light, separated from them. Um, and like this is how kind of the Bible talks about the earth as this place that's removed itself from God's presence. So we don't want anything to do with God. We've like cut the ropes that moor him to uh, us to him, and we floated out kind of off into the darkness. Um, there's a guy called C.S. Lewis who most of you know, right? He wrote the Narnia Seven book series, whatever a seven book series is called. They're great. He also wrote a lesser known trilogy called the Cosmic Trilogy. And in it, um, they're there. These are the, they should make more covers like this of books. They're great, aren't they? Anyway, um, they're a science fiction trilogy and they're kind of mythological. And, and he kind of imagines that, say, like Venus and Mars and Mercury have like inhabitants that live on them. But Earth is silent. It's like from, from the rest of the planets, they look upon Earth and they go, it is closed, cut off, dark place. No one goes in, no one comes out. Because People have cut themselves off from God and therefore like, shut themselves away. And so we don't want anything to do with you, God. We're going to live off on our own. And the whole trilogy is about how this, you know, this silent planet is closed away and, and what that means. It's, it's fun. It's, it's not as easy to read as the Narnia books. And some people don't like it. I think they're great, but whatever. Your mileage may vary. But that's this kind of picture he gives you of here's Earth cut across that. And he's not making that up. He's reading that as like a, a picture he sees in the Bible of Earth as a place where people have removed themselves from God. Um, and that happened because we have sinned, because the Bible says Adam and Eve originally sinned, and we all do likewise. We've all said, I don't want anything to do with you, God. I want to live separately. And when you cut yourself off from God, who is the source of all light and being, you end up living in darkness, and things go wrong. Um, let me give you another way of picturing this. Um, in the last like, couple of hundred years, but especially the last two or three decades, there's been a rise in post-apocalyptic fiction and stories. By that I mean stories set after some apocalypse on Earth, like life has been transformed and changed because of some great disaster, like there's been an environmental catastrophe or aliens have invaded or like nuclear war or whatever that is, and it mean that now people live in the ruins of civilization. So they kind of walk around and, and around them tower old skyscrapers and, and things like that. But, the, but it's the ruins of a civilization. Um, so uh, there's a, a book called, um, the first example I can think of, of this is a guy called H.G. Wells who wrote a book called The Time Traveler. And he goes into the future and finds not some great advanced society, but people living in the wasteland of apocalypse and nuclear fallout. Um, there's a really good book called Children of Men by P.D. James, which is about a world where people stop having children. And it was made into a really good film as well. One of the few times the film is better than the book, I reckon. Um, and it's the idea of they're, they're living after this apocalypse, that they can't have children anymore, and what does the world look like? Or like in kids' films, so Wally, great film, like one of the best Pixar ones going, um, is a post-apocalyptic film. Like the human beings have polluted the earth so much they had to flee the earth, and they're living this life after the apocalypse. What does it look like to live when the earth has been destroyed? Um, and and um, so this is a new one, and if you haven't got young children, you probably won't have watched this. It's called Rare and the Last Dragon, right? Uh, which I have seen too many times because my children are small, and they like watching the same thing over and over and over and over repetitively. Um, but in it, uh, there's these people who were all friends and getting along, and then um, the, the, there was this darkness entered the world, and uh, it kind of um, separated everyone. They fell out, and because of fighting and the rest of it, like the earth kind of collapsed. And it's actually, it's quite, 
when you like kind of watch the background, it's really grim. It's full of like people who've been turned into stone and like desert wastelands and, and whole tribes of people just wiped out. Like it's kind of, hey, it's fun, Disney. And you're like, actually, everyone's dead. Um, but it's a post-apocalyptic film set there. Now, the reason I say this is this, this is a picture of how the world really is. We live in a post-apocalyptic world, as in, in the beginning, everything was good and perfect and wonderful. When God created the world, it was not flawed. It was full of goodness. Work was not hard. Food came easily. There was no suffering. You know, um, people didn't just die. And then we sinned, as in Adam and Eve and the rest of us following, did what was wrong and broke ourselves off from God, said, no more of this. We'll do our own thing, thanks. And lo and behold, everything falls apart and breaks. And, and um, it all kind of collapses, and uh, the previous glories have gone, and we kind of wander around in the ruins of what life used to be like. So instead of things being easy, they're hard work. Instead of relationships being smooth, they're, they're difficult. Our relationship with God is gone and broken. Um, everything's falling apart. Now, you might think, Mark, that's a lot you've just made a claim on from one verse in Isaiah, but this appears all over the Bible, right? Particularly if you were, were following with us in Romans, the last um, kind of before Easter, before Easter, before Christmas, there's a bit in Romans 8 where Paul's talking about creation, and he says, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is Romans 8, 19 and 20. For the creation was, not, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's a slightly weird thing, but he's saying that creation is subjected to frustration. It's not like living as it should be. It's like, he's like imagining like the earth longing for a day where things are back as they should be. That it's not just full of, uh, the world's full of weeds and thorns and thistles and, and full of destruction, but one day it'll be liberated and back to normal. Or if you just read Genesis 1 to 11, it's effectively the story of a bunch of different apocalypses. Man, Adam and Eve falling out with God in the Garden of Eden, uh, the, the flood, the Tower of Babel, all these apocalypses happening that mean the world is in this ruin that it lives in. Now, um, your objection might be, that's all very good, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel post-apocalyptic right now. In a post-apocalypse, I want zombies, and I want, like, nuclear war, and I want, like, you know, cool technology. Um, but, and and um, on the screen's a picture of uh, what me and the kids got up to yesterday, right? This is, um, this is us at Saltburn. That doesn't look particularly apocalyptic, right? We've got ice cream afterwards, not apocalyptic. The parking, a little bit post-apocalyptic, I get that. Um, but, but nothing else. But even that, that's like a... A great thing that happens almost like a, uh, that's an, like a special occasion. We get to go to the beach and have fun and don't worry. But we only got to do that because, you know, we, we'd sorted out the jobs we had to do in the house in the morning. Or some of them. Not all of them. We had to go back and do some other ones and we didn't do some. And we couldn't all do that because Alice was working. And even then there was frustrations with, like, people, like, you know, with their dogs off the lead and, like, barking. And all that kind of, you know, it's like, it, it's, it should be better than it is. Um, you know, the whole world should be better than it is. Everything feels a bit broken all the time. I think we're just used to it. So we don't think we're living in a world that's marred with destruction, a, mo a world that's full of this like, post-apocalyptic stuff. We think we're living in like, what, what's normal, but it shouldn't be. Like, how is death normal? This thing that robs people of their loved ones and their family members and just comes upon us, this is not how the world should be. But we live in a, in a world that is, is separated from God, living in darkness, and we live with the consequences of that. Sometimes people will say, like, why does God allow volcanoes or um, tidal waves or, you know, whatever it is, hurricanes? And there is a, there's a really important question there about how do we think about a God who is in control of everything 
and yet allows and permits and, and sees that these things happen. But on a bigger level, it's like, well, what did you think would happen? You, you leave God, you walk away from him, the whole earth separates itself and lives in darkness. What, what do you think is going to happen to it? It's not going to carry on running as normal. It's going to all start falling apart. It's only God's gracious provision each day that means it's not worse than it is. We, we get days like going to the beach at Saltburn because God is gracious and, and keeps the world running and keeps it full of beauty and joy despite it being all falling apart at the same time. So the world should be much worse than it is, but God prevents it from being so. Um, what, what then is God going to do about it? Um, well, the answer is in this world of darkness and fallenness, he's going to send a light. So look at Isaiah 60 again. I'll stick more with the text now, don't worry. Um, it says this, uh, 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. God's people have always meant to be a light in a dark place. All throughout the Old Testament, God's people have said, be a light to the other world people. Show them what God is like. Show them what the world should be like. Point them to a place that is not as broken as this one is. And they repeatedly fail at that. But in God's plan, he was always going to send his son into the world to be a light into this broken world. And that's what happens at Bethlehem 2,000-ish years ago when the baby is born, the, the, the God become uh, taken on uh, uh, humanity, Jesus Christ in the flesh. That is a light entering into the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, God from God, light of light, light from light, he enters into the darkness as like a daring rescue mission. He comes down into this dark place to shine in the bright and darkness, um, as to reconquest the planet Earth, to take it back, to reclaim it as his, as his own, to liberate, to rescue people. That's what he's come to do. Into this dark place, as I have come to shine the darkness and to recapture it, to overthrow the forces of darkness and evil. And that's what happens so 2,000 years ago when he appears. It's kind of no surprise, therefore, um, that when Isaiah's thinking about this and praying about this and the Spirit's working in him, he goes, that's going to happen, and therefore everyone's going to come and worship him. From all over the world, they'll see this light and come worship him. So it's no surprise that pretty much immediately after Jesus is born, or maybe a few years, but pretty soon, people turn up from around the world and go, we want to worship this child. Because we've seen this, this light appear in the sky. It's been his, the light coming into the world has been marked by a light in the sky appearing. And we want to worship him. We want to come and, and, and adore him. Um, we want to come and praise him. It's like they see this beacon. They're drawn towards it. In one sense, what's surprising is that we only have an account of one group of people turn up. I mean, maybe more did. We're just not told about it. Um, and I think it's slightly surprising too that only like one star appears. You kind of think maybe all the stars like vying for it. Like, oh, I want to be the star that appears to point to Jesus. They want to make a big arrow in the sky. Um, just on that, some people speculate about like stars in the sky. I go, how can this be possible? There is a book called The Great Christ Comet, which will appear on the screen, which is a guy called Colin Nichol. He wrote it. It is a very long book, quite academic, about what that star could be. His argument is it's a comet that appears in the sky. Um, the word in, in the Bible for, for star is just could be any bright light in the sky. Um, if you want to delve in more to what it could be historically, it's fascinating. It goes above my head quite a few times in terms of astrology. Well, a astronomy, sorry, not astrology. Uh, but if you're into that, it's a fun read to have um, and look at. Um, but anyway, but this star appears in the sky, and, and these, these wise men come to it as Isaiah looked forward to coming. And they come to worship and to bow down and to adore him. And this isn't surprising because it's the light of the world. Of course they want to go see it and they want to worship him. 
It's also no surprise that this guy Herod wants to snuff it out. Because one thing that light does is it exposes the things that we do wrong. And Herod sees things that he does wrong and says, I don't want this. I would rather this light to be gone and dead. Now, obviously, Herod, what's he going to do? Like, he's just a king and this is Jesus. So he can try what he wants, snuff him out, but it's not going to work. And so, so, but that's like how Herod sees it. He sees this light coming into the world and he wants it gone. Um, Jesus' rescue mission doesn't just stop with turning up as a baby, though. It obviously carries on to the cross where temporarily his light is snuffed out. He is put out until he rises again gloriously and then shines the light to all the world. But what's interesting is that it doesn't, the light doesn't remain like that. So in Matthew chapter 5, um, uh, Jesus says to his people uh, in verse 14 this is of chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's what we sang earlier on, right? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. And Jesus is saying to his people... As I am a light to the world, now through my spirit you should be a light to the world. So if you like, dark world, Christ comes in this big blazing bonfire and then he lights on and says, now you go out and be a light to the world too. You be a little candle in the darkness, proclaiming who God is, pointing to the world, which is free of this uh, sinfulness, this fullness, this darkness, this brokenness, and declaring who he is uh, and, and pointing people towards Jesus, the light. So, so we do that. And it's no surprise that people hear about that and go, oh, wow, that's great. That, that, that's true. I mean, that's what it says in Isaiah 60 again, the further on bit. It says um, in verse 4, Lift up your eyes and look about you. All people assemble and come to you. Your sons come from far, your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you'll look and be radiant. Your heart will be throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. To you, rich the nations will come. Herds of camels will come to you. Everyone will come and bring gold and will proclaim the praise of the Lord. It's like picturing... Um, the church and saying look as you shine as a light people come and are drawn into this and hear about jesus and want to worship him that's not saying if you just be a really good christian do nice things people will trust in jesus you have to talk about it too but it's saying part of the way we declare that to the world is by showing people what the world should look like by shining his lights in dark places and people will come and trust in that when we talk to them about this jesus it also does mean though if you shine as light in the darkness people will object to that Hopefully not in a Herod way of trying to murder you, um, but potentially in like a, a way of, I don't like this, that what you're saying is wrong. But what can we do? We shine as lights in the darkness. We, we point people towards this um, Christ, this true light, and we live in ways that demonstrate it. And let me just finish on one thing. Um, this is not the end of the story, because uh, in, uh, the, 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 that picture of light in the darkness, that catastrophe that happens, and that post-apocalypse of one day will be undone, so we, we read in Revelation, we look to the future, and we actually read at the end of Isaiah too, of a day where all the darks will be dispelled and gone away. That the Christ will return in glory, and he'll make a new heavens and new earth, and there'll be no more sun and no more moon and stars, because he himself will be the light for the people. Um, there's a Tolkien who, um, oh, I was going to, uh, fine, I missed a reference earlier on, but there's a guy called Tolkien who's friends of Lewis, he wrote like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. He had a word for this. He called it a eucatastrophe, right? Where uh, you have a catastrophe at the start of a story, everything goes wrong, like an apocalypse. But at the end of it, you have like a eucatastrophe, that everything is now better than it could have been even at the start. And loads of stories follow this. So that rare and the last dragon, Wally, they start out, everything's gone wrong. But at the end of it, everything's better than it could have been beforehand. Uh, and that's what happened to the Bible. That everything goes wrong at the start, sure, but because of Christ's coming, the light of the world, in the future, everything's better than you could imagine. The light shines in the darkness, uh, and we have a beautiful hope to look forward to. That's the, the, the trust and the faith that we live in. 
We should, as you go about your week this week, you should expect to find the world broken, the things not being as they should be. And it's, it's worth saying that's not normal. When you see someone who's had a, like a positive COVID test or you see someone who's suffering with cancer or you find someone who's lost their job, once, that's awful stuff and you go, that's because that's the world is broken and post-apocalyptic. But we point people towards a future with Christ where, where he shines in the darkness, he draws people back to God and a one day hope that the world will not be like this. That for everyone who comes to know Jesus, they will have this light forever in a world that is not post-apocalyptic. That is the hope that we hold out to people and we hold to ourselves. So let me pray for us that we'll be faithful to that hope this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who came into this dark world. Father, let us be captured by that vision. Let us look to him and trust in him. And I pray let us bear witness to that this week and shine in this dark world. Amen. Um, in response to that, we're going to stand and we're going to sing together.